0: church our Lord said why are you persecuting me so Christ is still on the cross. Behold I stand at the door God. if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and eat with him. The direction you must choose Would you think I was crazy? And the answers in your The stories. Días welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's great to be back with you once again this week. We're going to be taking up the discussion where we left off last week. We were discussing John Paul the Great's love and responsibility, specifically his section on shame and continence, which is pages 174 to 200. If you're interested, if you have your copy, I'm going to be giving a talk on shame and continence. This coming Friday, March 5th in Corpus Christi, Texas at the famous Hester's Cafe at 7 p.m. If you're anywhere near there, come by. I would really love to meet with you and uh, and, and and just show you this great material from John Paul the Great. If you aren't anywhere near Hester's Cafe in Corpus Christi, Texas on March 5th, well then you can watch it live broadcast right over the Internet. Just stop on my website. At www.catholichack.com, where you can find more information about that, as well as the opening song here, which is Jesus is God from the album Superhero by Scarecrow and Ten Men. So stop by the website, www.catholichack.com. Well, before we begin, as always, we should begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. All glorious and wonderful God, we come before you, powerful King of kings, Lord of lords, come upon us today, and fill our hearts with your truth. Guide this discussion. May your words be said, not mine. May your will be done, not mine. Teach us the proper use of shame, that we might be transformed by you through the Holy Spirit, that we might become another Christ in the lives of our family and friends, in our communities, that we might show by example the power of God's love for us and for all mankind. We place, especially in your care today, all those suffering most in Chile, all those suffering most in Haiti, and everywhere else human suffering occurs. O Heavenly Father, send forth your angels, your people here on earth your body, the Church, to care for their needs, to show your love, truly present here on this earth. We seek this and the intercession of our Blessed Lady. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen well last week we we left off i was trying to cram as much material as i could in that show but it just i couldn't get it all done so where we left off was we were just getting into how shame is properly absorbed by love and so i want to take off from that point and to just as a recap and a good starting place for that, it's to just back up just ever so slightly and make another point that I made last week, and that's with Adam and Eve as our example here. In Genesis two twenty five, we, we are we are told that the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Now you ha- you must understand, in Genesis, this is the narration. Of Moses in the wilderness speaking to the Israelites who he just led out of Egypt, out of 430 years of bondage, of slavery. They spent 430 years living amongst the Egyptians, living their life, you know, being influenced by their cult worship practices. God was taking his firstborn, Israel, out of the land of Egypt to purify them to get rid of all of that pagan idolatrous worship they were worshiping the nile and the and the goats and the and the and the locusts and all these creatures all were gods in egypt and so god was taking them out of that and so in genesis moses is narrating to the people this is your history you came from here he starts at the at the beginning he says in the beginning you know, in the very beginning of, of Genesis, because Moses is narrating to those people, "This is your history, this is who you are, and now this is what God is calling you to do by going into the land of Canaan and to possess it, okay, so now that's sort of the background, and that's why in genesis two twenty five we are told that Adam and Eve were both naked and not ashamed. Well, how is that possible? How could they be naked? I mean, didn't Adam get a look at his naked wife and go, Wow, look at that. She's hot. No, why not? Because this is before the fall. Now, you must realize that God gave the divine command... In Genesis one twenty eight, we are told that God made man and woman after His likeness and His image, and we said last week that gives them a built in, a default dignity to mankind, that they by default have dignity, whether they believe it or not doesn't really matter. They have it by default because they were made in the image and likeness of God, which is one of the the foundations for why we say life begins at conception and ends at natural death. And we should not be murdering people in between, whether it's an abortion or euthanasia or in between, because life has dignity. It doesn't matter if the person is as old as I am, as well-developed or underdeveloped as I am. It doesn't. None of that makes a difference. They have dignity as human persons. Adam and Eve didn't commit a sin yet in Genesis 2.25. They hadn't, they hadn't eaten of the fruit that they were forbidden to eat. They hadn't succumbed to the bully of the garden, the serpent, and the great Nahash, the ancient dragon who came there to to bully his way into the garden, to see to it, to the fall of man, either by their own doing or by murder, because he is the liar and the murderer from the beginning, as our Lord tells us in the Gospels. And so there in 225, Adam hadn't committed the sin. He was still without sin. And so he looks on his wife, not as an object for pleasure. No, his will is in charge of his appetites. So he would not look at his wife's nakedness and then reduce her down to nothing more than an object to pleasure him at will. Just sense how selfish that is, that that person is now not a person. No, that person exists to pleasure me at my will. That's reducing a person to a commodity down to to just the use for personal pleasure which is completely contrary to the concept of the value of human persons. So Adam didn't have that problem. His will was in charge of his appetites, and so there was no risk of him looking upon the nakedness of his wife and then reducing her down to nothing more than the value of body and sex. No, the value of her person had a much higher uh, regard in his life than the value of body and sex. That's not to mean that sex is bad. No, sex is good. It is the very first command given to uh, the married man and married woman that they should go forth and fill the face of the earth to have that one flesh union to come together. And we know that's the case because that was the command given to them. And then all of a sudden what happens? Right after that 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 marital bond of of the command to become one flesh to to have sexual relations to bring forth life onto the planet to fill it, we move right into the narrative of the fall of mankind in Genesis chapter three, because there in Genesis chapter three. When they disobeyed the Lord, when Adam was a coward and he allowed the great Nahash, the the serpent, to come in and bully his way in, he was a coward. He failed to stand before this great Nahash, this intruder. He, He failed to stand in between the intruder and his wife, Eve, and the garden. Instead, he allowed Eve to do all the talking. And so we've talked about that several times on this show in the past. I won't get too much more into it beyond that. But so we know that they fell from grace. And what happens there in Genesis 3, 7, that we know that their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aproned. Why were they ashamed now? I mean, just just a couple of verses before this, they were naked and not shamed. And now, now they're naked and shamed. So much so that they sow fig leaves and to cover their bodies. And then when the Lord walks in the cool of the day, they hide in a bush. They're ashamed of their bodies. Why? Because now their appetites are in charge of their will. There is a There is a flipping of the order of nature before the fall man's reason was in control after the fall man's appetites are in control we suffer from this every single day i know i do i mean if i if i drive through a uh uh you know a fast food drive through, you know it's like that looks pretty yummy i'll take two of those extra large throw in a milkshake i mean that oh that can't wait to eat that that looks yummy My appetite is in charge of my will because my reason should be saying, no, Joe, that's going to add about another 50 pounds. You don't need that in your life. No, food does not exist to entertain me. Food exists to fuel my body, and therefore I should give my body the good fuel it needs to live healthy and happy. And that's a lesson I've taken a long time to learn, and, and it's taken massive willpower to try to implement, and I still am trying to implement that. But the same principle is in effect here in the, the situation with Adam and Eve and in our lives every single day. Our will must be in charge of our appetites. And here in Genesis 3, 7, after the fall of mankind, it was their appetites that now ruled over their reason, over their willpower. And now there was the possibility that Eve's body could be taken and reduced down to mere body and sex by Adam, that in Adam's heart he could now lust after eve before he would not have done that before he loved eve and because he loved her he always sought the greater good for her and never reduced her down to to just an object and he never lusted after her so now after the fall there exists the potential in adam's heart that he would lust after her body and just and, and just to reduce her to that lowest common denominator so therefore that potential exists Eve must now the shame kicks in Eve must now protect her body she must protect the value of her person she, so she sews the fig leaves and puts it on herself to protect her body saying no you will not use my body as a commodity not even in your thoughts Adam too he must sow fig leaves, he must cover his body now too, because also there exists, he knows that in his mind, that I must not reduce her to an object of mere sexual pleasure. I must not do it, not even in my thoughts. And so he now must avert his eyes. He must now turn away from what was so beautiful and so gloriously made before that we saw in Genesis 2 his reaction when God brought her to him he said woman bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh that was his realizing of the glory of God that she would he would create from the side of him the side of man woman now, in Genesis 3-7, when they have fallen, their appetites have ruled over their reason, now he must turn his eyes from what was once beautiful and glorious, because now he runs the risk of using her. And he can't do that, not even in his thoughts. And now he is ashamed not only of, of that physical encounter, but now he's ashamed of his emotional reaction to her body and sex and his own emotional reaction to himself. And so now shame is really kicked in here. And so we see that through the fall of mankind, this relationship, this oneness, that one flesh union, the imminent, the intimate marital act between a man and a woman, when f- love is fully realized, when the bodies join in the sexual intercourse, that action was frustrated by the great Nahash, the serpent. He comes right in the middle of it. Right when they receive their divine command to to fill the face of the earth, that's when Nahash steps on the stage and he interrupts that oneness between man and woman. Because through that oneness, they share an intimate insight into the person of God himself. Because God... Loves the Son so much, he pours out his love fully and completely on the Son. The Son loves the Father so much that he gives it all back fully and completely. And the processing from all eternity, the processing of this love from the Father to the Son and the Son to the Father is the Holy Spirit. And all of this is from eternity. There is no beginning, there is no end. But they process, the Holy Spirit processes from the love of the Father to the Son. Just like in mankind. Well, actually, that's more perfect. Mankind is more a mere foreshadowing, a glimpse, a, a hint at the reality of God. Man and woman in marriage, Cain. Or Adam loved Eve so much that nine months later, that love had to be given a name, Cain. That's the, the, the reality of marital life between man and a woman. But we see that shame plays a unique and pivotal role in this marital life that shame is uh, absorbed truly and perfectly by love. And we we see that John Paul II, on page 181, says this, The absorption of shame by love. Shame is, as it were, swallowed up by love, dissolved in it, so that the man and the woman are no longer ashamed to be sharing their experience of sexual values. We wish to protect our own value, the value of others, and at the same time, make straight the path of love. We talked about this, this, this sort of, this this image of shame as a castle. On one sense, it, it protects. On another sense, it broadcasts. Now, a castle says, you know, it has, you know, thick walls, thick stone walls to protect from invaders from the outside, just like a woman would put up a protection of modest behavior modest dress and so should a man but this protects their value as a person cuz they don't want to communicate the wrong thing at the same time it also broadcasts their value as a person why so not only the person the man let's say a man is is looking lustfully at a woman and a woman senses this okay she is saying you can't even use me in your thoughts I have much more dignity than that. So her behavior, her dress, her attitudes, all of this, even her language, protects her value as a person against such an attacker. Because she is is a person that can't be forced. Her body, herself, can't be taken from her unwillingly. No, we must give ourselves as a gift. That can only be done in in a marriage. And so our shame protects, the castle protects. At the same time, it broadcasts those values. Now, to an attacker on a castle, it says, I'm strong and you can't take me out. Now, in love, we protect our person with, with the proper use of shame, with modesty chaste behavior at the same time we're broadcasting those values why because we want to open the way to love it's kind of a split personality you know this broadcast and, and protect thing you know don't yes come stop no go you know it's like which is it you're confusing me yeah you're sending mixed messages here you know stop go you know which is it i need to know And that's often the problem between relationships between man and woman. Men often do not know how to sense the communication given by women in regards to uh, the sexual values. They see mixed messages. And oftentimes, this is caused because of immodest behaviors on the part of both. And so this is why it's so vitally important that you must realize, whether you're a man or a woman, doesn't matter. You must realize that you are sending out a broadcast your shame, which is naturally reacting in your life, is trying to protect your person by telling you—you know—giving you the the heads up, the, the alarm. Your conscience is talking to you, you know. Hello, there is somebody that's using you right now. They are lusting after you, or even worse. Hello, you are lusting after somebody, and you shouldn't be doing it. At the same time, you are sending out a signal. Now you must make sure that that signal is who you are as a person. If you are broadcasting the wrong signal by the way you dress, by the way you talk, by the way your attitudes, by your personal relationships, if you're sending the wrong signal, the person on the other end will receive the wrong signal and they will come to the wrong conclusion about who you are. That's not what you want. That is not the goal. Shame is a natural reaction to all of that to help guide you in that process so that you can get on to the right path because ultimately, shame leads naturally to love. And that's what our beloved past Pope, John Paul the Great, was talking about. Now, he also says on the bottom of page 182, he says, quote, Love, as we said right at the beginning of this book, is an attitude to another person, which essentially precludes treatment of the person as an object for use. It most certainly does not allow a person to descend to that level, nor does it permit one person to reduce another to that status. This is why shame leads so naturally to love. We've said it a million times already. You cannot use a person. People have dignity. You can't lust after them. You can't reduce them down to an object that just simply provides you pleasure. I mean, we see this illustrated so perfectly in in strip clubs or pornography. When a person looks on pornography, they are looking only at the single value of body and sex. That's it. They know nothing of that person as a person. They've reduced them to a commodity to be consumed. And once it's been consumed, it's discarded and trashed and thrown away. You cannot do that to the human person. And that's why shame, used properly, leads perfectly to love. Because in love, as we said before, in love you desire the greatest good possible for your spouse. And that's why it's so critical that we use shame appropriately. We allow it to function correctly in our lives because it will lead to that ultimate love. Now we see there love always seeks the greater good of the other and we see this also illustrated in first corinthians chapter 13 this is the famous passage that everybody has read at their marriage Uh, i did but you know what in this passage saint paul was not really discussing the love between man and a woman now it's still love and love is a person love is uh is jesus christ it's it's god himself god is love we are told you know god's love is a consuming fire Okay, so we know that God is love. And so, therefore, love, we can discuss love here in the, in the context of marriage. But just understand that when St. Paul wrote that, he wasn't necessarily speaking about marital love between a man and a woman. He was speaking about a love that is sacrificial, that is giving completely of self. A love that works, not receives as much as it works and gives. And so, uh, go back and read First Corinthians chapter thirteen, and you'll you'll just refresh your memory about that verse, that passage, and just re- just get the sense of how sacrificial it is, always giving, less receiving. We also see the same analogy given to us in Ephesians chapter five, verse twenty-five. There, Saint Paul once again sets the bar very, very high. You know, this is a, a particular passage that's very troubling to a lot of folks. Because why? It says, you know, wives, be subordinate to your husbands. And that just troubles so many people. It shouldn't. It really, really shouldn't. Because properly understood, it it, it satisfies. It's fulfilling. Not It's not offensive at all. Because the very next line, you know, I don't know why people get scandalized by that. The very next line is, you know, it's husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, St. Paul doesn't tell women, you know, hey, hey, ladies, love your husband and then uh, be sacrificial and die for him. He doesn't say that. All he says is, you know, wives, be subordinate, you know, be respectful to your husbands. And then he goes on to say, husbands, now you, husbands, you love your wives as Christ loved the church. What did Christ do? He carried a cross to Calvary. And then he was nailed to it after being stripped naked. And there he hung until he died and gave up his spirit. And then he rose again on the third day. And he rose into heaven, ascending into heaven to the Father. To be that perpetual sacrifice before the very face of God. The God the Father in all eternity in heaven. Now that's how much you should love your wives, husbands completely sacrificial completely giving yourself up that gift of self that we that we mentioned before this is what we are given as the the bar as the example by saint paul there in ephesians 5:25 love is sacrificial always giving of self and less receiving now on page 184 another very good one here uh John Paul II says, quote, There is no longer any reason to be ashamed of the body once the positive urge to inspire love, which is part of that, of that shame, has met with an adequate response. Nor is there any reason to be ashamed of one's feelings, since there can be no question of regarding the other person as an object for use. That is a phenomenal statement. What he's saying here, is he's saying is once man and woman, in that marital covenant, they love each other so much as the after the examples of Ephesians 5 and uh, 25 and and 1 Corinthians 13 after those examples they love each other so much that there is no longer any reason to fear the the degrading of self to to a mere use because the man loves his wife so much his will will rule over his appetites and he will not reduce his wife down to an object of use and therefore there's no reason to be ashamed of the feeling he he has to the reaction of his wife's body because when he sees his wife's body he you know he's pleased he he's turned on he's excited to see his wife but in that excitement, it has its context, it has its place, it's good, it's natural. Sex is good, it is not bad or evil. It is just taken out of context and then corrupted down to a perverse version of it. But the way it was intended by God to be good, man should look at his wife and say, Woman, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And so there's no reason to be, to be scared of such a reaction to his wife and and therefore we can enjoy our spouse because we will not reduce them down to the object of mere use but we are in love is that okay you know real quick is before we end the show today this excuse but you know hey i'm in love i don't need to be married no we're in love we love each other it's okay to sleep with each other right wrong emotions are deceptive emotions will deceive you there are countless stories pilots flying through clouds fighter pilots flying through clouds they have to trust their instruments because so many of them have died because they were flying upside down and they thought they, they were right side up and then they would pull up and they would crash into the earth there are countless examples abortion how many women have aborted their babies because they felt all alone you are never alone never there's always someone there that person is god emotions can be deceiving. We're going to wrap it up again. That's an enough for this week. Next week, we'll take it up again. Shame, part three. Hopefully, I'll be able to conclude this series on shame next week. Again, if you're anywhere near Corpus Christi, Texas, on March 5th, At 7 p.m., Hester's Cafe, I'll be there giving a talk on shame on this very subject. And hopefully I'll be able to get all of that in that night. Well, until next time, I'm praying for you. Stop by the website at CatholicAct.com for more information. May God richly bless you. From the Catholic Underground.